Christ, our hope in life and death. Perfect for the sermon. Um, Hebrews 11 is what these men and women believed. It's how they lived. Um, it's what the text says. So I want to begin tonight with one, a quote from one of my favorite preachers. You guys could guess who it might be. There's only two I quote normally. Um, this is John MacArthur. Um, he says this, The course and the quality of our lives are determined much more by our decisions than by our circumstances. What do you think? Do you agree or disagree? I'll read it again. The course and quality of our lives are determined much more by our decisions rather than by our circumstances. Now, it's the universal pastime of man, right? To complain about our circumstances. It's really pathetic. <laughs> I mean, we just, it's pretty much who we are. It's what we do. Um, the interesting thing is, most often we're responsible for our own circumstances. It's an accumulated effect of many decisions. But let's look at it from a biblical perspective. Adam and Eve decided to not believe, trust, and obey God. We know the end result of that decision. Noah decided to believe, trust, and obey God. We know the result of that decision. You guys remember Kadesh Barnea. It's one of my favorite texts in the Old Testament. They decided not to believe, trust, and obey God. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and died there. Can you imagine all the complaining that went on for 2 million Jews for 40 years? But it was the result of their decision against God. You know, I'm a pastor, so I see, I see this often. <laughs> you know, you counsel people, you counsel people, you give them good counsel, and they go do what they want. Then they come back and they're blaming God for not, you know, shall we say, rewarding them for doing what they wanted. Um, it's most, most unfortunate. You guys remember Gideon. He made a decision to believe, trust, and obey God. And God did an amazing thing. He and his men outnumbered 450 to 1. They got the, the victory from an occupying army. So I could come up with bib uh, countless biblical examples to support the fact that our decisions, particularly for or against God, have much more to do with the course and quality of our lives than do our circumstances. So here's what we can take away from what I've said so far. Just start right now. Stop whining about your circumstance. Stop doing it. Just stop. There's no profit in it. And there's certainly no glory for God in it. Stop. Start making decisions that honor God. Start making decisions where... You become that witness that that lost man, woman, boy, or girl needs to see. A man or a woman who actually loves Christ. They don't complain. They praise God. They've got the cancer diagnosis. They're praising God. Their son died. They're praising God. They lost their job. They're praising God. What is that? That's what the world is supposed to see. Doesn't mean we don't weep and mourn. I'm not saying that. Of course we do. We're human beings. We can push through it because Christ is our reward in life and death, right? 
This is a real thing for us. It's, it's a real thing. It's palpable. Every day we wake up, it's real. It's what motivates us as we live this life. Again, it's an undeniable fact that by and large, our circumstance is a direct result of past decisions. But we want to blame and whine about it. Often it's the consequences of decisions where we disobeyed God or we simply never factored him in. You guys know what I'm talking about? <laughs> He's just never factored in. His word is never factored into the decision. And then there's, you know, when, when you're operating in your own power and wisdom, you know, you, you find yourself in a ditch on a regular basis. And then there's all this whining. Well, why isn't God blessing my decision? Well, you never factored him in. You probably never talked to him about it. Could be the problem. We know how it is in the world, don't we? Humanity and rebelling against God started the snowball down the hill and now blames and rails at God because there's an avalanche of pain and suffering. Why all this suffering? One sin. It was one sin. God crashed the cosmos because of one sin. And I know some folks don't like it, but God says you were in Adam. You were in him. You're guilty too. Now, I know many people don't like the doctrine of original sin. It doesn't matter if you like it. <laughs> it's just what God says. Um, why are we not in paradise? Because we rebelled. We would still be there. Adam and Eve, you and me, if we had not rebelled against God, we'd still be in paradise. So my point in saying that is please, don't be whining to God about your circumstance. He put you in paradise. So, yeah. Listen to a couple of promises God gives us about decision making. I, I love these decisions he puts in front of us. And I could go a, a whole lot of places, but Deuteronomy 30, 19. I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse, so choose life in order that you may live. What does that mean to choose life? Jesus Christ. Joshua 24, 14 and 15. Therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourself today what gods you will serve. It's all about what you decide. 1 Kings 18, 21. You may remember Elijah challenged the people. How long will you hesitate between two options? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. Then he ends it like this. But the people did not answer him a word. And it's true, isn't it? A decision to make no decision is a decision. You know, I see this, I mean, as a pastor, you see this all the time. People are always deferring that decision to radically give themselves away to Christ. You know, you, you work with someone, you counsel with them, you witness to them, uh, you spend years with them. <laughs> and, you know, there's never any movement. There's never any growth. And they just won't make the decision to make the decision, which is to make a decision. You know, it's just true, beloved, and you guys know this. 
none of us are going to have an excuse on the last day. We don't get to say we didn't know. We don't get to say that. No man's going to get to say that. Particularly men and women who sat under the preached word. I love Isaiah 65.1 and, and Ezekiel 33.11. I always combine these two verses. God says, Ezekiel 65.1, He says, Here I am. Don't you love it? He says, Here I am. Then you jump over to Ezekiel 33.11. He says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Turn back from your evil ways. Why then should you die? Right? I love those two texts. I love to put those two texts together. So, not only does Hebrews 11 define and illustrate genuine biblical saving faith, so what we've been talking about for the last three weeks, there is a progression of faith in the believer's life that overlays the chapter. And I think a lot of um, superficial readers obviously will not pick this up. Um, but this is, a, this is it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to look at. And I'll just review it real quickly for you. Verse 1 we saw, substance of the, uh, God is the, or pardon me, biblical faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Then we see in verse 6, you must not only believe that God is, you must believe that He is a rewarding God. And I told you how that verse changed my life. I realized that I had certainly believed God is, but I never believed He was good. Consequently, I never fully obeyed Him. I was afraid to obey Him. I thought He'd leave me hanging. He says, no, I'm a rewarding God. And you've got to believe it, man, or, or you won't do it. I'm telling you, when the, when the pressure comes, you won't do it if you don't believe he's good. You won't, you won't obey him. When it gets hard, when it gets costly, when it gets expensive, you just won't do it. You can't do it in, the, in your flesh. You cannot do it in your flesh. Um, as noted last week, we see this progression. I'm going to review it with you just very quickly. Verse 7 through 12, we saw that God in His Word initiates faith, right? Abraham didn't just wake up one day, I'm going to have faith, you know? Noah didn't just wake up one day and say, I think I'll have faith. What happened? We see it right there in the text. God warned Noah, and what did he do? He built an ark. God called Abraham. What did he do? He went out not knowing where he was going. God promised Sarah and this barren, beyond the age, old woman conceived. This is what faith looks like. According to the Word of God. Verses 13 and 19, we saw that if real faith resides in the heart, that faith will manifest itself in the life. We talk about this all the time. You cannot escape this in the New Testament, even in the Old Testament. If it's real, it spills out. We've said it many, many, many times in the pulpit here. There'll be, if it's real, there'll be an inner response which, be, which gives rise to the outer response. This, this is always evident. Um, you know, in the tradition I grew up in, we, we tried to baptize kids as early as we could. You know, it was just a thing they did. I, I you know, I never liked it. I didn't like it. I was baptized as a young boy. And, and then there would be all these excuses, right? Because the life doesn't change. And they're like every other teenager out there doing everything you can imagine. And there's always these excuses. Well, I, I, I went away from the Lord. Listen, I understand that we can sin. I get that. But... 
God says this is real faith. And he says there's an inner response that gives rise to the outward reaction, the outward response. It's inevitable. It's palpable. It cannot not happen. Okay? This is the Bible. This is Hebrews 11. What was Noah's inner response? It's right there in verse 7. In reverence he built the ark, right? Abraham's inner response. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly what it is, but we see it in his action, right? It's radical trust. This man leaves not knowing where he's going, and I think I estimated about a thousand kilometer journey. Um, what is Sarah's response? The text tells us by faith. She believed it. She was, her womb was dead. It was barren. She was past the age. There was no way this was going to happen. She believed. She believed. And she had a son. So real biblical saving faith, it creates lovers and seekers of God. Real believers, we saw it last week, are heaven bound. We saw those three or four verses. They're looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God, verse 10. Um, what else? They're strangers and exiles, verse 13. They're seeking a better country, verse 14. They weren't thinking of this country, verse 16, but they desire a better country, right? They're heaven-minded. They're heavenly-minded. This is their focus. Heaven is their focus. It's not this week, this year, next month. Heaven comes first. Their view of God comes first. How they're going to deal with God on a daily basis comes first. And you guys know that verse 16 there. God is not ashamed to be called their God. And He has prepared a city for them. Gotta love it. So tonight, as we look at 17 to 29, we continue to see that genuine biblical saving faith makes hard decisions to believe, trust, and obey. Sometimes it's hard. If your Christianity Christianity is not hard, I'm just going to say, maybe... You need to start pushing the envelope. I don't know. It's going to be hard sometimes. It's going to be hard sometimes. It's just a fact. I heard a preacher say one time, living by faith in God isn't easy. It's not supposed to be easy. If you thought Jesus was a gravy train, you've misunderstood. (laughs) You know, it's, as MacArthur says, it's not a run through the park with a, with a bouquet of balloons. That's not what Christianity is. We're living on a condemned planet among uh, a damned species who hate God. You think you're going to go out in the world and proclaim the glory of Jesus Christ and not take some heat? Of course you're going to take some heat. If we're doing our jobs, we will take some heat. Real faith believes that God is and that God is good. Verse 6, real faith believes this and real faith acts upon this belief. We live like God is good. It means you can take any risk for Him. Any risk. Any risk He puts in front of you. He's not just good to provide health, wealth, and prosperity. He may do that. 
There are many, many impoverished Christians around the world. I don't know how the prosperity guys get away with that in impoverished areas. Of course, it's just a false gospel. But, yeah, I won't go down that road any further. Did you notice when I read 17 to 22, um, in the test, Abraham believed and he did the hard obedience. You know, was it Genesis chapter 22 where he sacrificed Isaac? Isaac believed and he blessed his sons regarding what? Things to come. Not things he had seen, things to come. The promise of God. Jacob, uh, as he was dying, believed and he blessed his sons and he worshipped. Joseph, when dying, he believed that God was good for the promised exodus. So if we look in, beginning in verse 17 and following, God briefly mentions Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. But I'm going to, fo I'm going to focus on Moses, okay? So you might want to turn over, if it, if it requires a page turn, over to verse 23. That's what I want to look at, 23 to 27. We're going to look at this, this, this third reality in this text. The saving faith makes hard decisions to obey God. Uncomfortable decisions. Verse 23. By faith, Moses, pardon me. Yes, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Moses' story begins how? With his parents. Just like your story. Just like my story. So I'm talking to you parents and I'm talking to those of you who hope to be parents for the first few moments here. Do you see what Moses' parents gave to him? A legacy of faith. That's what they gave. That was, that was their gift. Obviously, by their faith, he survived, right? It was only by their faith. He should have been put to death. It was by their faith. So you, you need a little history here. I think everybody knows the story. The Jews were multiplying and the Pharaoh became concerned that they would overpower the Egyptians and he gave the order to put male babies to death. There was only two choices for Moses' parents. Um, allow their son to be killed and save themselves or risk death. There was no middle way. And the text says that by faith that Moses' parents looked death in the face and they did not blink. They were not afraid of the consequences of not submitting to Pharaoh's edict. So I want to say, do you see how far reaching your faith as a parent is? Do you see? Do you see? You obey God and everything changes in your child's life. Okay? You obey God, everything changes. It's no promise, obviously, that your child will be converted, but they will see the glory of God in your life as you live by faith, facing down the challenges of everyday life that we all face by your faith in God, right? By your faith in Yahweh. God protected his parents. He made provision for Moses' survival. And Moses becomes one of the greatest men who have ever lived. Why? 
because their parents, because his parents believed. And they trusted and they obeyed. So I'm just asking the parents and future parents. You know, I come from a, a rich country, I guess you'd say. And people just love to leave piles of money to their kids. You know, I actually heard John Piper say, this is a bad idea to leave a pile of money to an unregenerate kid. It can only end badly. I'm not saying inheritance is, is always a bad thing, but I'm saying, what kind of inheritance do you, inheritance do you want to leave, right? Do, don't you want your kids to, to see you live by faith and to love Christ, you know, preeminently through your obedience? It's a big deal, obviously. Being a parent is a huge stewardship. It's a huge responsibility before God. So all this was set in motion by the faith of his parents. Again, what are you setting in motion for your kids if you have them? Are your kids exposed to the beauty and greatness of God through your life of faith? Does your life shout to them that God is and God is good? You cannot give your children any greater gift. You know, I've, I've I've said this a number of times, but I think the greatest thing Karen and I ever did for our kids and our grandkids was to live 5,000 miles away. Um, principally because they know, what, they know what we're about. We're about one thing first. We love our kids, we love our grandkids, but we're about one thing first, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And they see that, they know that, there's no doubt in their minds about it. They may like it or dislike it, but they know it. And I'm not bragging, I'm just saying... Your kids get it. They know if it's real or not. They see it. They know if it's real or not. It's either spilling out of your life or it's not. They know this. And you know, as the experts tell us, you are the most important teacher of your kids. Verses 24 to 26. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Verse 26, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. There's a lot there. <laughs> this is the reason I'm focusing in on Moses for this one exposition. So a little, little bit of Old Testament background here. After three months... Moses' mother could no longer hide that she was pregnant. She puts him in the, or, or not pregnant, but has had the baby. She puts him in the uh, basket, puts him in the Nile. Pharaoh's daughter finds him, adopts him, and he is raised as a prince of Egypt at the zenith of his power. You may remember what Stephen says about Moses over in Acts 7. He says that Moses was educated in all the learning of Egypt, and he was a man of power in words and in deeds. But Moses ultimately faced the same decision you and I face. To align ourselves with this world or with God. There's no middle ground. There's no middle ground. I know people seem to think there's middle ground. There's not. There's no middle ground. You have given your affections to the world, and we all know it. We know our hearts. 
We may not be honest with ourselves. We know our hearts. We've either given our affections to the world or we have sold out to Christ. And there's no place in the middle. Now, I know churchgoers like to believe there's a place in the middle. If you read your Bible, there's no place in the middle. No place. You love the world or you love God. You cannot do both. Jesus said as much. You cannot do both. So you decide. Back to MacArthur's quote. You decide. It's the same decision each of us face. Remember Jesus said, Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, what? For where your treasure is, what? What will be there? Your heart. Your heart will be there. Your affections will be there. You know, I like to say it that way. People say, well, Jim, what's the bottom line on conversion? It'll be in your affections. If it's not in your affections, I guarantee it's not true. It's just a church thing. You did a church thing. It'll be in your affections. There'll be a sacred romance going on. So I would ask you, what have you decided? Are you loving the world or are you loving Jesus Christ? God is saying, in Hebrews 11, he's saying, he's saying, this is about a real relationship. A real relationship that radically changes my people's lives to such a degree they are willing to take any risk. And we're going to see it. We're going to see it in another week or so. Maybe next week. I think it's next week. What does he say? Verse 34. Some escape the edge of the sword. Where is it? And some were slain by the edge of the sword. Well, how do we understand that? We obey God and the consequence is His. It's His. He determines whether we're martyred or whether we're not martyred. That's His business. That's not our business. Our business is to simply obey God and magnify Christ in the world. That's what we do. You know, I've been saying to you, I, I love that text. It's in Luke. Jesus told some of his guys, he said, some of you will be killed, but not a hair on your head will perish. Right? I, just love, I love this. I love it. I love this. There it is. It's verse 37. They were put to death with the sword. By faith, some uh, escaped the edge of the sword. By faith, some were put to death by the sword. It doesn't matter. It's not your call. It's God's call. Will you be honored? Will you honor God in your martyrdom? You remember when Stephen was stoned, it's, and, and, and Jesus is seen standing at the right hand of God. <laughs> Steve, the, the heavens open up. I guarantee he didn't feel one stone looking at the glory of God. And I don't have any doubt that Jesus meets his martyrs. I don't have any doubt that he meets them. In a very powerful, personal, intimate way. So desire begets deeds. We've talked about it. Shouldn't be, should not. Shame on you if it's should not. It's about desire. And that desire drives us to deeds. Right? Back to James chapter 2. Faith without works is dead. Of course it's dead. Faith without works it just means you, you don't know him. You don't love him. 
You've never met him. Because if you did, <laughs> their desire would be there. And I, as I've said to you, and we all struggle at different times, but you, you can barely hold it down. You can barely hold this desire down to magnify Christ, right? And to, and to just radically give yourself away to him. Whatever that looks like for you. Verse 25 there. This is where the hard decision comes. He's going to endure ill treatment as opposed to the passing pleasures of sin. Again, talking about Moses. Moses is like the rest of the folks in Hebrews 11. He's like you and me. You just have you, you get to weigh it out. You weigh it out. Do I hear gain in going with Christ or do I hear loss? And i got to tell you, I've met a lot of church members, a lot of churchgoers. When you start talking about, um, you know, sacrificing yourself and following the Lord and denying yourself, you know, they hear loss. I've had quite a few people say, I hear loss. And I will say to you, then you don't know him. If you knew him, you would hear gain. You can't hear loss in obedience. You have to hear gain. It's what, it's what the Bible's teaching us. To live as Christ, to die is, yeah, you know. You know, but we have to weigh it out. We talked about this last week. Sin is the suicidal exchange of the infinite value, beauty, and joy of God for fleeting, inferior, sugar-coated substitutes. Again, infinite value, beauty, and joy of God. This is what drives the true believer, right? It's these things. It's this dynamic relationship. It's not beautiful theology. It's not perfect dogma. It's a relationship with a beautiful being. And yes, of course I'll die for him. He died for me. Of course I will. But, but let me say to you, you know, I know, I, I know that sounds, that's real brave of me to stand up here and say this, but, you know, I, I've read testimonies of people who, who, who were close to being martyred but were not. And they, they, they will tell you about the peace they had. God meets his people, man. God meets his people where they need him, right? You can be martyred. You most likely will never be martyred, most of us in here. But you may suffer. What, is it, what does the text say? Endure ill treatment. I've endured a lot of ill treatment. I'll just be honest with you as a Christian. Um, I've never had a tomato thrown at me, but I can see it in people's eyes. I can see the tomato. If they had a tomato, it'd be coming, man. You know? Um, beloved, life's just too short, man. It's just too short. If you love Him, go out there and live like you love Him. It's what Hebrews 11 is all about. I love this, the infinite, eternal beauty and value and worth of God. I saw this quote. It was in the bottom of my Bible. I hadn't seen it in a long time. I've written, written so many things in my Bible, I can barely read anything in it. Um, I, I saw this quote. All men live for pleasure, don't they? All of us live for pleasure. The difference for the Christian is ours is forever. It's forever. It's not for a moment. It's not for a minute. It's not for an hour. Not for a day. Not for a week. Not for a month. It's forever. Infinite value, beauty, and worth of God in my life, right? Again, I don't know why 
I don't know why we don't have to have crowd control. MacArthur says, from a worldly perspective, Moses was sacrificing everything for nothing. But from a spiritual perspective, he was sacrificing nothing for everything. I hope you understand that. I hope you get that. From a worldly perspective, Moses was sacrificing everything. From a spiritual perspective, he was sacrificing nothing for everything. That would be the, the thinking of a true believer and look at verse 26 again, which punctuates what we were saying last week. See, it was all about Jesus. He considered the reproach of Christ greater riches than being a prince in Egypt at the zenith of its power. It's an interesting thing about this word reproach. If you look up the Greek, it's more, it means also to Suffer abuse, scorn, insult, suffering, and disgrace. Why would Moses do this? What does the text say? What does your, your Bible say? He was looking for what? He was looking to what? The reward. God is God. God is good. This is always the calculus, right? This is the calculus. You're going to lose your job if you don't. Do what your boss says. God is God. God is good. Right? I could come up with a thousand, a thousand different examples, but I, I won't go down that road. But just one example. God is God. God is good. Just remember that. Don't ever forget that. Then live, live that out, right? God is God. God is good. God is a rewarder. If I lose my job, okay. So what? He'll get me another job. Because God is... God and God is a rewarder. He was looking, Moses was looking for the reward. Again, this, this emphasis in Hebrews 11, these men and women, they desired a better country. That's how they lived on a daily basis. They were captivated by God and the promise of God. And I'll just ask you, you know, it's an easy thing. Are you captivated? Are you captivated by your Christianity? Are you captivated by the Lord Jesus? Does he captivate you? Does he astonish you? Does he amaze you? Do you delight in him? Do you adore him? You know. Moses was looking at God and his life shouted that he was looking at God. <laughs> and, you know, if we don't take away anything else from Hebrews 11, I hope that's what you take away. He delighted in God and his life said, I delight in God. There was no mixed messages Again, not that these men and women were perfect, and none of us are. But Moses' life said, I love this beautiful God, and I'm on my way to him. Verse 27. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. Again, a little background here. As you know, the first time Moses left, he did fear the king. Um, he had murdered an Egyptian slave master who was beating a Hebrew slave, and Moses ran. He ended up in Midian, married a shepherd's daughter, had settled down. God shows up in a burning bush. <laughs> Don't you love when God shows up? I love that. It's my favorite part. When he blows up your life, he just shows up, and nothing's ever the same again. 
If you read there in Exodus chapters 3 and 4, you remember that Moses struggled mightily with the call of God. He tried to excuse himself five times. I also love this. <laughs> Moses, Moses was trying to excuse himself. He didn't want to go with God. <laughs> his, his excuses were pretty lame, just like yours and mine. I remember uh, a friend of mine had just decided to go to seminary. I was still in business. And I said, well, Brad, what about that? He goes, I said, he said, God said, I am. I'll never forget this. Walking down the fairway. I had a beautiful shot right down the middle. I said, well, Brad, what about that? God says, I am. I said, well, Brad, well, how are you going to live? God says, I am. He just kept saying that. And I realized that's it. I am. Right. And God says that in the in the Bible several times. I'm God. There's no one like me. I do whatever I please. I do all my good pleasure. God really does mean for us to to live like that's true. Like we believe that's true. It's not just dogma. It changes the way I live on a daily basis. What does a man do when he generally genu genuinely believes that God is God and God is good? He lives a Hebrews 11 kind of life. Do you believe him? Do you believe he's good? Will you take a risk? Are you ready to push the envelope with God? Because here's what Christians do. <laughs> they push through the doubt and unbelief and into obedience. This is what real Christians do. Okay, maybe you failed in the past. I know I have. Okay, you confess that, you get up, and you push through the doubt and unbelief, and you go on. Right? We talked about this some weeks ago in the Heaven series. We finish. We finish. We don't just attend church and feel good about ourselves. We finish. We finish with God. Verse 27, the second time Moses leaves Egypt, it was by faith he did not fear the wrath of Pharaoh. There's an interesting thing here about this word translated left. It's not simply that he physically left Egypt. Uh, if, you, if you have a King James, it says forsook. He had turned his back on the world, right? Egypt is always a, a metaphor for the world. He turned his back on the world. So I'm going to ask you, have you turned your back on the world? That's a big question. Have you? Have you turned your back on it? Are you looking to, to the reward? Are you, are you looking at the, the, uh, him who is unseen? Is that what, you know, motivates you on a daily basis? <laughs> you know, I've been saying this lately. My wife's getting tired of it. Um, you know, I only got 14 years left according to the Social Security Administration. And I love it. I'm almost home, man. Of course, I could die. I could stroke out here in any minute. But I love it. I'm almost, I'm really close. I can smell it. I can almost taste it. I'm so excited, man. Wait till you get in your late 60s. You'll, you'll understand what I'm saying. Um, anyway. Okay. Well, it's, it's kind of like Peter, Andrew, James, and John over in Luke 5, 11. They left everything and followed Jesus. Jesus said, follow me. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, okay, I'll do that because of your infinite value, beauty, and worth. I'll do that. Moses is enduring as seeing him who is unseen. Seeing the unseen. It takes you right back to verse 1, doesn't it? Remember what it said? Remember what verse 1 said in Hebrews 11? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the conviction of things what? 
not seen. Are you pursuing and desiring that which is not seen? God, going back to Hebrews 11.1, 1, God is the substance of things hoped for. God is the evidence of things not seen. God is saying to all of us who have ears to hear, I am the fuel of the life of faith. I do that. I, I will fuel you. If you'll come after me, I'll give you everything you need to obey everything I've said. Again, I'm not talking about perfection. We're all sinners. We, 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 we fight that battle to the end. But we can't always confess our sin and repent and, oh, obey God. Yes, we can. We can do that. Not only can we do that, we're supposed to do that. That's what a Christian looks like. I confess my sin. I put it down. I move on. You have an abiding sin? Deal with it. Deal with it. Like tonight. Deal with it. Move on with God. You can. You have the power you need to defeat that sin. You have the power in the Holy Spirit. Hey, I've been down this road. I've been around the block. You have abiding sin in your life? You're going to make a clean break? And then you find yourself sinning again. What do you do then? You confess, you repent, and you get up. And you're going to finish, right? Listen, it's not how many times you fall. It's how many times you get up. But don't presume on God. Don't blame for a chump. He's not a chump. Don't toy with sin. As Piper says, you must be ruthless. Whatever the sin is in your life, you should be ruthless. And make sure that you get it out of your life. Real faith is real men and real women in love with, oh, you, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, we understand there's no middle ground. If you can find some middle ground in Hebrews 11, come, come show me and I'll change my sermon. But there, I can find no middle ground in Hebrews 11. Christianity, as Hebrews 11 shows us, is a passionate pursuit of a passionate God. And no, it's not always easy. And no, it's not supposed to always be easy. We have to grow up. We have to be mature men and women, right? We have to understand it may cost everything. Probably not for us. Probably nobody in this room will ever be subject to being martyred. But, you know, if you can actually do the Philippians, is it 121? If you actually, if you own that, you know, it's kind of like everything else is a minor nuisance. You know, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Everything else is kind of a, if you've dealt with that verse and you get that verse and you love that verse, it's like, you know, everything else is just, it's just a nuisance on the way home. So here's what every bit of life boils down to, and I'm done. You must decide for or against Christ. Back to MacArthur's quote. It's not your circumstance, it's your decisions. That's what we're talking about. 
You must decide to receive Him as Lord and Savior or reject Him. And I always encourage people, if you're dead set on rejecting Him, get on with it. Don't play church. You're just storing up wrath. Now, I know most preachers won't say that kind of thing. But it's true. You must decide to set your heart on the things above or the things of the world. You're just, it's your call. What are you going to do? you got a few minutes left. You're a vapor upon the earth. You must decide to radically obey uh, Him or simply play church with Him. What are you going to do? you got a few minutes left. What are you going to do with that? Man, you know, it's, big, it's, it's serious, isn't it? It's serious when we come in here. The Word of God is serious. It's life and death. It's eternity. It's heaven and hell. It, it's always here. In every text, it's always here. And God says this, Deuteronomy 30, 19, I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse, so choose life in order that you may live. <coughs> love the Bible, man. How can you not love the Bible? It's just so crystal clear. There's no ambiguity. Jesus says, follow me. And He really expects you to. Let's pray together.